You're listening to episode 13 of season 13 of the GNU World Order for the 84th day of the year 2019. Hi everyone, my name's Klaatu, I am your friendly host, and this episode's gonna be all listener feedback, because boy do I have a lot of listener feedback. I didn't used to get this much listener feedback, and you know, I don't track numbers, I don't look at web interactions and things like that. I, I actually have some access to that sort of stuff now that I'm with webhosting.coop, which is a really great host that I recently started using. They have a bunch of stat stuff in, in their in their control panel, so I could look at that stuff, and, and I might at some point just to see if I can figure out what feeds are the most popular. But those numbers always kind of, they feel fake to me. I don't really know what to make of the numbers that I see in stats, so I, I don't really look at stats that much. So I have no clue how many people are listening, but judging from the jump in listener feedback, I, I've got to admit that I'm, something must have shifted. I don't know if it's, uh, if it's the fact that I'm a weekly show now, whereas for, you know, 12 seasons pre, no, 11 seasons prior to, to, to this, uh, I was not a weekly show, so that might have helped. It might also be that I was recently voted the most popular Linux podcast by linuxquestions.org forum users. That's quite an honor, actually. I'll have to be honest with you, because linuxquestions.org, well, certainly it's the, it was the forum that I knew of when I first started using Linux. It was, that was the place to go. Frankly, it still is. If you want real answers within a reasonable amount of time, linuxquestions.org is, is a great place to go. Not saying, like, Stack Overflow, like the, what is it, the unix.stackoverflow.org or whatever it is, um, isn't a great place. You know, it's got, it's got things going for it as well. But linuxquestions.org is a well-established community of serious Linux users. So it was pretty neat to find out that in a, in a, in their yearly poll, my show was voted the best Linux podcast. I have been mentioned in, in other Linux-centric media before, but the, the, the sort of the, the tagline, the blurb about my show is usually something like, it's an acquired taste, or it's a little unique. You know, there, there's always this sort of caveat and sort of warning about getting involved with the GNU World Order. Just know it's not for everyone. So LinuxQuestions.org saying, yeah, this is the best around right now, is pretty cool. Um, of course, it can't last. Next year there will be someone else, and that's that's the way that things are. But for this year, I have been voted the best, so that's good. Or maybe it was actually for the past year. The best years may be behind me now. Either way, it was cool. So anyway, let's get started with the listener feedback, because we do have quite a bit to get through, but they're all hugely interesting. The first one is from Alexei from Russia. He, he emailed earlier, and, well, he talked about coffee so much that I that he inspired me to do 1310, episode 1310, entirely about coffee. Well, it wasn't entirely about coffee, huh? I did about 30 minutes, maybe, on coffee. But, um, yeah, he, he emailed me again about flat packs and about Snap. It is a, you know, if I was to print it, it would probably be like 30 pages of, of text. So I'm going to, I'm not going to skip it, but I'm going to skip it for now, because it is so, such an interesting email and and I've been doing so much with Flatpak uh, and AppImage lately that it really, really, really wants to be its own show. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up Emacs right now, and I'm going to make a note to myself to in org mode 
to uh, do an app about flat pack app image snap re alexi there that is now a, a to do list so you will hear that very very soon i'm sure okay so next up is an email from ronald and he says your ongoing segments discussing various components of a linux installation is a really good idea Thank you, Ronald. Everyone seems to agree with you. And, you know, I don't know why. I, I, I feel like in previous episodes, I've gotten email, maybe, or maybe it was just in real life, but I've gotten email from people saying, yeah, this is a great idea. Keep doing this. And I keep, I, I feel like I keep thinking, oh, this is such a surprise. Like, people are really liking this. But I, I kind of sat down with a good cup of coffee earlier today and thought, how silly it was to be surprised by that. This is a Linux podcast. That's what people. Like, you're, you, my dear listener, you are listening to this show right now because you want to hear about Linux. So the fact that I am covering Linux programs in detail on the show and that you enjoy that um, really shouldn't be a surprise to either of us. So I'm glad that we're all sort of on the same page about this. Okay, so Ronald says the segment about tar might be worth revisiting with a nice benefit uh, when combined with bzip2, that of better compression than achievable with zip. Now that's a bold statement, right? But he's got the proof to back it up. Listen to this. He says, when multiple files, let's use JPEGs since they're already compressed, are present, and the images are similar, or duplicates, then zip can only compress individual files, and not very much. Or the zip archive is actually larger than the individual files, which can this is Clatu again this that does happen sometimes like especially if you have something that you've compressed all as much as something can be compressed as it is and then you put into in, into a zip uh container you're, you're kind of you're, you're adding admittedly a small overhead but you're still adding an overhead to to compressed files and so sometimes it, it can come out nominally bigger than the thing that you compressed he continues, tar combined with vzip2 can look at the joined together JPEGs, see the similarities across files that zip cannot see because it doesn't because it does files individually, and achieve a better level of compression. Here's an example of two identical images and a zip archive of them, and then a bzipped tarball of them. So this is super interesting, dear listener. So we've got 73,000. Well, I'm just going to kind of round up. So we'll say 73 kilobytes, right? Right. So we got 73 kilobytes of an image 2.jpg, 73 kilobytes of image 1.jpg. That makes sense. They are duplicate files. And then if if you zip those into images.zip, then you get we we see that he was left with 140 147 kilobytes for an images.zip containing image 1 and image 2. Now, if you do some quick math there, we know that uh, 73 plus 73 is 146. I'm rounding up. So you're, we're certainly not getting any smaller. Um, and as he says, the, the, in this case, the, 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 the container may actually be larger than the sum of the two. The, yeah, the sum of the two parts. So if I say um, 73716 times 2, 147432... No, this is a little bit smaller. So this is like 100 bytes smaller or something stupid like that. Okay, so that's the zip. Now, just try to guess what the tar.bzip2 is going to be. Like if, if, if they're 73 kilobytes each and combined in a zip file, they're 147 kilobytes. Just throw out a number. I'll give you a moment. I'll take a sip of my coffee while you think of a number. Hold on. Okay, 91 kilobytes. 
Heck, I'll round up. I'll be generous. 92 kilobytes. So from 73 kilobytes times 2 down to 92 kilobytes. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's almost like a codec. I, I think that's really, really cool, and I had no idea that, that, that BZIP2 was capable of doing that. I just didn't, I didn't know. I mean, it makes sense. It, it makes absolute sense. I mean, if you have a data set that is in a container, then why not compare all of the data and find similar values, or rather, the same values, and then simply use, you know, one value where you used to record 12 or whatever. So, yeah, it totally makes sense, and, and it's kind of funny to me that, that Zip, at least natively, now I don't know if that's, it's probably written within the Zip spec or whatever that it can't do that. I, I guess I would be kind of morbidly curious to know how a tool like 7-Zip would do, or even gzip. I mean, are those different? I don't know. So, either way, super, super interesting. Thank you very much, Ronald. That was um, really, really good to know about. Okay, next up is Carl. We're going to hear from Carl a couple of times, but this one is kind of an older one. Um, because, so I've been recording some in advance, so the, the listener email does tend to pile up. And, and that's why sometimes we hear like a bunch of listener email kind of all at once. It's just because I will I will sometimes record two or three episodes all in one day, and that way I'm I'm sort of ready for the next two or three weeks. And it's this this is just me catching up with listener email. But this so this is a bit old. It's from Carl. It was it's kind of tagged onto a bunch of other stuff that we he and I were talking about um, about Slacker Media, which is my my multimedia on Linux tutorial site. So he says, uh, I just finished the PodWrite episode from early last year. I'm about out of episodes in the Google Podcast app on Android. Looks like they only go back to 1st January 2018. And that is true. Um, so first of all, you should know that Season 12 was the beginning of the weekly the weekly schedule. So anything before that is not weekly. There's, there are going to be drastically fewer episodes previous to Season 12. And, uh, like, less than half per season. Where the, the term season is an arbitrary division that I, I would come up with just to sort of delineate the roughly... They, they sort of map to a year per per season, but not exactly. So, because sometimes I would, like, start a season early in the year and then take a break for a little while and then come back at the end of the year. Weird things like that. So it's not an exact one-to-one -one match. So, um, the point being, though, is that I, I decided that the feed would probably get annoying if it was all seasons that I've ever done. Uh, especially since I don't personally think that older episodes get better with time. I think that they, they fall out of relevance and... And I just sometimes, you know, as my knowledge increases, I feel like I'm doing better shows. So I just, I don't know, I shelve those old shows. And they are still available. If you go to the website, gnuworldorder.info, you'll see a link. If you're looking at it in like a graphical browser, it's in the upper left corner called Archive. And you can go into the Archive, and there's a bunch of season directories. And if you go into those season directories, most of them have either um, a, an RSS feed in that in that folder, or maybe even show notes for that season, and certainly they have the AUG versions of the show. Now, I only keep the AUG versions of my shows because I just don't want to store all the versions. So if you want to listen to the older seasons, that's you, you can go in, grab the, the directories or whatever, 
They all have pretty predictable names, so if you want to script it, you could do that. Point is, they're there. If you want to listen to them, you can. If there's a huge demand, and by huge demand I mean more than two people, uh, I could, pr- I can, I, I, I can spend a little bit of time to generate like a big archive RSS feed. But it would take, it, it would, it would require multiple requests for that because um, it would be effort, and and I would only want to spend the effort if I knew that people were going to actually use it and find a lot of value in it. Because otherwise, you can just go to the season, grab the individual RSS feed, or just grab all the episodes and then listen to them at your leisure. Okay, so that's that. From Ken Fallon, who is someone who's been listening to my show for ages and has sponsored me in a variety of ways, I got a message saying that the sound quality of the most recent uh, episode, which I think was 1310, was physically painful for him to listen to. So that is, of course, in stark contrast to a couple of other feedbacks from other people that say that the volume has gotten a lot better for them. So I think, I feel like um, this is probably a byproduct of, of attracting a couple of new listeners, which is very, again, very exciting to have new listeners. I'm, I'm hugely excited to have more people on board. I mean, that's why I do the show, so that people can listen to it. So it's really neat that people are listening to it. But I think as a side effect of that, I'm going to start seeing more more of a conflict of opinion, or, or a clashing of opinions, maybe conflict is a bit strong, but just differing opinions on what, what is right and what is uh, annoying. So, for instance, Pierre himself, uh, from I think last week or two weeks ago, emailed saying that reading out long commands uh, was was kind of silly. And in fact, um, Carl, as I said, we'll we'll hear from him a couple of times. And Carl Carl emailed me recently and said, "I feel compelled to write you and register my respectful dissent." I'm, I'm glad it was respectful because I I wouldn't want to foster an environment of of disrespect. Uh, respectful dissent to Pierre's feedback from last week's episode, specifically the part about it not being necessary to read long snippets of code. On the contrary, that's one of the differences that immediately jumped out at me compared to other Linux-centric podcasts, and I really like it. I usually listen in the car, commuting to work and and back, and it may sound weird, but I try to visualize myself typing in the terminal as you are rattling things off. I'm diligently working my way through the GWO back catalog in reverse order, and I'm showing no signs of slowing down, so your formula works for me. I feel like... This is Klaatu. Um, I, I feel like my sentiment echoes Carl's, to be honest. I know that I've I've gone back and listened to a pre, a, old episodes of mine on Hacker Public Radio specifically, usually because I, I did something on Hacker Public Radio that I need to remember how to do later, so I'll go back and listen to the episode. And... I love it when I read out the commands because it's all self-contained. You know, all you need is is that episode. You don't need to go hunt down show notes or copy them or anything like that. They're just there. So I, I do like. I mean, I I would love to have them as show notes as well, so I don't have to listen to this the the episode. I can just copy and paste out of a, a show note. But other times I do want to hear hear the rationale behind it all. And so having it all self-contained, I really I do quite like. And as I was saying. It should be no surprise that people enjoy hearing the commands because it's a Linux podcast, and that's what people are here for, presumably. Um, that being said, I, I understand what Pierre is saying, and, and I certainly, I certainly um, sympathize with 
with Pierre for not wanting to hear long commands that just, after a while, they, they basically start to sound just like random letters and numbers being thrown at you. But I, I feel like I'm going to keep that up. It's going to, it's going to, that's a keeper, I think. And I think other people probably agree because Carl's not the only, only or the first person to, 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 to say that they like that about the show. So anyway, back to what Ken was saying. Um, difference in opinions. People have different eardrums. They want to hear different things. They don't want to hear other things. And so I'm trying to adjust levels so that it is louder than it has been previously, but not sharp, as it were. It's I don't want it to stab into ears at all. So I'm, I'm working on that. Bear with me as I adjust and make little fine tunings here and there. I hear your feedback and continue to give it to me. It is important, and I am working on something. I want to find, you know, that magical, mythical compromise where everyone's happy. And I know that's probably not, you know, 100% possible, but I, I think it's, I think it's a worthy goal anyway. All right, so it's almost time for a coffee break, and I think there's really only one way to go for, for this coffee break, and that is an ode to coffee. I bring this up because Brian in Ohio sent me his son's homework assignment, which was to do sort of a um, a poem, which was then formatted. You know, part of the assignment was to format the poem in some in the shape of something that would be meaningful to, for the for the context of the poem. And so I'll I'll post this on on the site as a little picture. It, it is a poem about coffee, non-metered poem, I don't think. I'm not detecting one anyway. In the shape of a... The, the text has been shaped into the sound... into the shape of a coffee mug. And I'm going to read it now as we, as we go into our coffee break. Pot of coffee sitting in the coffee maker, sending its sweet smell through the kitchen. When the alarm clock sounds and the master is awake, the sound that greets him on the stairs is the sound of his ever-faithful coffee maker. Down with the sugar down with the cream, grabbing a mug, grabbing the coffee pot, mixing it all, leaning back and saying, Oh, sweet coffee. poem, wasn't it? And hopefully you do have a beautiful cup of coffee right now. Because we have more stuff to talk about. This one, this email, I'm just going right up the list, pretty much. So this is all sort of in chronological order of, of when I received these things. So this one is from Josh. Josh Cox from webhosting.coop who, of course, is one of the co-owners of webhosting.coop um, I don't know why I said of course, but he is. He happens to be. And he says, um, I forgot to respond to your scathing critique of my one-lion installer. Um, this is regarding his Qbash, or Kubash. I don't... I still don't exactly know how you're supposed to say it, because it's Kubernetes, right? Ku... So I, I feel like it's got to be Kubash. Okay, anyway, so on Kubash, on the site, there is a one-liner installer, which is right down at the bottom of the page, and it's a curl-ls-get-io-slash-kubash-pipe-through-bash. Now, first of all, I'll read Josh's response. So he says, 
First, I stole the original code from Meteor, which is meteor.com slash install. Okay, cool. And I invite you to read through the about 150 lines of code if you want to install yourself install it yourself manually. And that's on github.com slash kubash slash kubash slash slash blob slash master slash bootstrap. Most of its calls mo- most of it is calls out to the make file, and that's on the same place except master uh, makefile, which installs various Kubernetes related tools to tilde slash dot kubash slash bin. I actually have a comment for Josh about that. Uh, and everything was done in a fashion that stayed as close to the official docs of each individual project as possible. So that's good. So he's 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 keeping upstream. And then he says, or he's respecting upstream. Upstream. While you might prefer that I write this all out in English and have that be the canonical method of installation, I actually install Kubash using the boot uh, the, the bootstrap script, and therefore it is the actual single source of truth, and any such English rendition would, over time, fall out of date. I, I hear what he's saying here. I gladly take pull requests, uh, so if you or anyone else wants to write the English install mesh- method, I'm all ears. Um, P.S. I think we have decided to give... Oh, that's a different topic. Okay, so I'm going to stop there for a moment. So I think what he's saying here in the email is actually not what I was... He, he's countering a thing that I wasn't actually saying, I think. So he thinks, I think... I think he thinks that I think there should be a a sort of a document explaining what the installer process is. And I'm I'm actually not saying that. I don't think there needs to be a slackermedia.info version of for, for Kubashi. That's not what I meant. Um, because people can read the the install file. Like they can go they can go read the script and I, I realize that and that's a great thing and that's a great thing about open source and I I hope that in my in my podcast and in my other things that I put out online, it's clear that I encourage people to do that. Going to back to the source, that's always the right answer. You can never go wrong with that answer. People have any question about anything saying, let's look at the, the source. You might not understand the source, but let's at least look at it together, or let's go find someone who can explain it to you, or or do whatever you need to do. But the, 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 the ultimate answer to any question in open source software is in the source code. I mean, it's just a self-evident truth, right? And again, I don't. I, you might not necessarily understand what you're looking at, but certainly if you look at it, you you never know what you will understand. You might find helpful comments in there, or you might just find that yeah, okay, I don't understand it. Now I'm going to go look at. I'm I'm going to go ask around to see if I can find someone who can who who does know the source and can answer this question, which would be like a bug tracker or something usually. So. That's fine. I, I don't actually think that there needs to be an English version of the installer. The thing about this, in, and, and frankly, the reason scripts exist at all is because people shouldn't have to manually install stuff, right? That's what a script is. It's an automated, it's an automated task to alleviate repetition. So that's important, and I respect that. The thing that I am not feeling comfortable with here is the fact that we are taking this process. You go to a website you like what you see. You think, maybe it is something I want to install. I'll download the source code and take a look at it. If it appears authentic and safe, I will install it on my computer. So that's the normal process. And this kind of thing where you just give someone a single one-line install command that they can just paste into their terminal, it reduces all of that to, this looks like a pretty site. I will let them install whatever they want to on my computer. That seems dangerous to me. And when I say it seems 
quote-unquote dangerous, I mean, if good guys do that, and we normalize that as a valid install method, then it's going to be that much more difficult for a certain subset of users to raise that little warning flag when they come across a bad guy site that does that. Because as long as the site looks like a valid open source project and it's got the open the, the, the GitHub icon in the corner and it says fork me somewhere, it's got that one line install, so just do that. That's just my opinion, of course. Josh continues in his email and says, I think we've decided to give another go on open public for Town Hall, though we are still looking to the future with a blockchain voting system. Now that sounds, this is Klaatu again, that sounds really cool. Uh, a blockchain voting system sounds very, very reasonable. And in fact, it sounds like one of those things that you know the blockchain is actually designed for. Like that's the perfect use case of blockchain. There's, there was a lot of excitement for a while, and maybe there still is, but I'm kind of I'm insulated from that now. Uh, there was a lot of excitement. I, I remember in real estate, someone was saying, "Oh, blockchain's huge for real estate," and and just you you'd, I was at a conference once, and just everyone was talking about blockchain and and all the different ways they could, you know, it was just it was insanity. It was it was just it was it's like okay, everything's going to be blockchained now for no reason. It was is really strange, but um a voting system based on that to to track who's actually voted, who's not voted, who's tried to vote more than once, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, that that's a that's a great idea. Sound, sounds perfectly perfectly reasonable. Now, I technically want to hear more about coffee, but I got enough responses happily about the coffee episode that I I think I can actually make like half of an episode just about listener feedback about coffee. So that's I think that's what I'll do. And in fact, I'll add that to my little Emacs note here. Half episode about coffee feedback. Cool. Um, however, I do have feedback about food. Uh, not, it's, it's not, I, I realize that coffee is not food. I learned that one time when I tried to live off of it for extended amounts of time. Uh, and this one's called, uh, well, it's, it's not called anything. It's from Donald. And Donald sent me a link to hack a day which in turn linked to a site called bofh.org.uk and in 2019 0225 i'm not sure what kind of numbering system that is but 219/02/25 oh you know what i think that might be is some kind of arcane method of tracking days yeah i think what they're actually meaning they're referring to in this number system to the uh, 56th day of 2019. So anyway, so 2019-0225, Baking with Emacs. It is a bakery in England, presumably, because uh, it's a UK site that runs off of Emacs. And you might think, oh, that's cool. You know, he must probably have like a nice little org mode thing to keep track of stuff. No, it, it goes way beyond that. Specifically, he's using Emacs and PostgreSQL. And he's got this great quote, this guy. This isn't Donald, by the way. This is a link that Donald sent me. Um, so it's just some guy. I don't I, I could look. Oh, Piers is his name. So um, he, it says he's got this cool quote on this little blog post about what he's doing. He says, computers are amazing. They are versatile tools even if you don't know how to program them because there's almost always an app for what you want or something close enough that you can work around its infelicities. It's quite remarkable the things that folks can do with their kit, with no programming skill at all. But, learn to program, and a whole other vista of possibility opens up to you. 
With good programmable tooling, you're only really limited by your skill and understanding. Instead of accommodating yourself to your software, you can accommodate your software to you and make the right functionality trade-offs for you. He's got a separate post explaining exactly how his his program works. And it is, it's basically an, I, I guess you could reduce it to say that it's a calculator. I mean, it's a computer, so I guess it is a calculator. But but in other words, it's, it's a recipe book that contains no hard-coded quantities. So you know what, how many orders of some bread that you have to make the next day. So you can, the night before, type in your, your query. You know, I want to make five loaves of this and six loaves of that. And by joining different components together from the database and looking at what the, re- one, it, what, what the unit requires, it returns the quantities of the ingredients that you must use in order to produce a starter for you know that loaf and this loaf or that kind of thing and that other kind of thing. So you're never adjusting quantities because that's your, your, your recipe book is just providing those quantities back to you instantly when you're, when you're looking up the recipe. And that's pretty amazing. Um, I don't really bake personally a whole lot um, because I don't seem to be very good at baking. And I wish I were better. I do make bagels and pretzels, soft pretzels for myself because I can't find them really in in New Zealand. I mean, they're they're here. They're just not they're not as good as they could be. So I, I make my own, but I don't count that as baking. That's not really that complex. So yeah, it's really neat. Um, I I don't know. It would be great if he opened open sourced his software to be honest but maybe um maybe he doesn't want to do that because then he would it would be a thing that he had to manage so i I can understand why he would possibly just want to kind of keep it in in his bakery because it's it's really a thing that is doing that is running his bakery rather than a thing that he's doing you know to provide the world with a a dynamic recipe book but there is some sample code on his site and he does it in a really intelligent way. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, you should check it out if you're at all interested in programming or Emacs or Postgres. So thanks, Donald, for sending that link my way. That was a that was a real fun read, that one. There are yet more listener feedbacks. I'm gonna skip over a couple of them for now because a lot of, some of them are, are quite extended. Some some of them are very long. And uh, so I'm gonna save them either for later or for a lot later, depending on the topic. But one I'll talk about right now is from... Who, who's this from? O. Just just O. Just the letter O is uh, the email. Oh, Daniel. Sorry. Daniel. The email says just O. Okay, so um, he says, uh, Thanks for all the podcasts. It's been entertaining, sometimes enlightening. That's pretty good. I, I'll, I'll take that. Entertaining so far and sometimes enlightening. It's not always enlightening. I mean, that would I wouldn't believe him if he'd said it was always enlightening. So um, it says... He, he says... In almost every episode, um, there's a statement that makes me go, yes, exactly what I think, too. And it's not something often repeated in in the Linux communities. Oh, that's interesting. I find that interesting and surprising. But that's cool. That's it's great to know. Today, I particularly enjoyed your comparison of data backup strategies with real life and trying not to own too much stuff or data. Yes. Okay, so he says, about the Grav CMS... I have been using it myself some time ago, maybe two years, and very much agree with both your praise and criticism. Essentially, flat file does not necessarily mean free from bloat. And I I think I can vouch for that at this point. Um, So he says, 
He continues, two years ago, Grav was something between beta and mature. I became aware of that very early on when I could still easily have dropped it for something else, but decided to go with it. Since then, I noticed that people were very excited about the optional and definitely beta admin plugin. It saddens me to hear that it seems to be quasi-mandatory now. I started customizing and playing with themes almost instantly, adding... I scrolled too much and lost my place. Here we go. Adding uh, plugins for galleries and so on, and soon hit the edges where it just wasn't stable anymore. That, and I didn't know about the templating. I don't remember anymore why I changed. Maybe Grav was too much for my single-core vintage laptop server. But I now use a much lighter CMS called Pico. That's picocms.org. And while it does much less, it has this in common with Grav. There's the blogging engine itself, but it doesn't do much without themes. There are really more than that. They're written in Twig, interspersed with HTML, much like much like PHP. It's a layer on top of PHP, supposedly meant to make it safer and more accessible. I tend to agree with that, but don't know anything about the deeper workings. The people promoting these CMSs seem to assume that you understand templating in general, and Twig in particular. I asked myself question after question, and only re- recently realized that the answers mostly involve Twig itself and not so much the CMS. Um, so this is Klaatu, and I'm going to kind of interject there and say yeah, that I kind of, yeah, I think I get what he's saying there. Um, there is, there's a lot in Twig. I mean, Twig, they say it's a, a templating, you know, t- templating markup or templating language, and it really is. I mean, it's got filters and functions and all kinds of fancy things that you can do with Twig, but it's this weird kind of middle middle ground where, yes, you can do a lot of things with Twig, and then if you try to get too fancy with it, you run out of options, and you realize, oh, it's not really designed to go that far. So it's very much, I guess, it's almost like a, well, maybe like we could say maybe like WordPress or something in in a weird way, you know, where it's super, super easy for 90% of the things that you do. And then for that last 10%, if you want to get fancy, then you have to go and learn PHP. And Twig is kind of the same way. It's it's very, very simple to do 90% of the things that you'll probably want to do. And then suddenly you'll get this idea, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have this thing in that corner? And then you realize that's not something that you can do with Twig and you have to rewrite the PHP that's generating the the page itself. He continues, Daniel does, Anyhow, Pico does much less than Grav, but the structure is very similar. Twig templates and a content folder with markdown files, each containing a header with YAML metadata. I could not find the issue in pull request you mentioned, but I tried to put an error into one markdown file's YAML metadata, removed a colon, and the page in question disappeared from the blog, but everything else still works. This is for Pico now. And I don't get to see error messages containing internal paths. But I remember this behavior from Grav, and I'm pretty sure it could be switched off. I'm not so sure about that, um, Daniel. I I mean, it might be able to be switched off if I I go in and modify the PHP. But I don't think that they've got that available, because the the bug report um, is not... It doesn't say anything about that. Um... If that happens for your blog role, probably blog.md, that is unfortunate, but you should still be able to access pages manually, if not something is seriously wrong with the theme and or the CMS itself. That's a good point. I should try that. 
If, on the other hand, you have an error in one of your templates, in my opinion, they have to be written just as carefully as a shell script or some other program. You have to test for missing files. Sounds like the person who made that theme did not do that properly. Yeah, I agree with that. So um, he says, I think the general idea of these CMSs, or a general concept of web design, is to separate contact, uh, content from presenta presentation. A lot of fiddling in the development environment to get things just right, and then one can concentrate on writing articles into simple markdown files. At least, that's the reason to use a flat file CMS. Yeah, I agree with everything that Daniel says. Um, well, almost. And I think, I think Grav... Yeah, it very well could be down to the theme designer. You know, it could be the theme that I'm using, and I guess a little bit more testing with different themes would have been a smart idea. It never occurred to me at the time, so maybe I'll, I'll work on that. But uh, there, there was actually some activity on the on the bug that I filed about about one of these problems. So we'll see if that that renders anything. It it may or may not prompt Grav to 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 re look at that problem rather than just saying, well, you should use the admin plugin. And if not, that's fine. Um, you know, I'll, I'll probably still use Grav for the the sh at least the short term because it is what I have set up, and I've spent quite a lot of time and resources setting it up the way that I want it to be set up. Um, it's just I'm going to have to spend a little bit more time and resource to 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 set up some safeguards for failure. And I will look into the um, the ability to disable revealing internal paths and so on. But I'd, I'd really rather just not have the site break. That would be excellent. That would be the, the desired uh, result. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see how that goes. And it's good to hear about Pico or to learn about it. I think I had, I think when I was initially investigating what I should use, I did come across Pico. And it probably just f looked so similar to Grav that I, I figured, well, I might as well go with Grav because I did... I had had a pretty good experience with it previously. I was I, I, I kind of liked what they were doing. They seemed like a healthy project, so I, I went with them. I mean, I, I don't mean to talk in the past tense as if though I, I have changed my mind about any of that. I'm just I'm just saying that when I was investigating, I imagine that that's one reason that I went with Grav over something like Pico or or any of the others. Like I said last the, the time that I was talking about this Jekyll or or whatever, I just I kind of knew Grav already. I liked what they were doing. I felt pretty confident about the development uh, habits, so I went with Grav. It's all a process. I'll figure it all out. It'll be fine. Um, and and I recommend checking out some of these CMSs if you're doing, you know, if you're thinking of throwing a website on the internet. It some of these are really really nice. They're they're fun to play with. You get to get in there and mess around with PHP and Twig and a little bit of Markdown. You know, it, it's different. It's not. It, it isn't like the old days of of reverse engineering HTML. It's it's the new days of reading up on Twig templating and learning new Twig functions and figuring out which PHP variable contains the thing that you want to stick into your website at that point, and then you filter it through your Twig thing. And so it's you know it's totally different. But if 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 you're looking for something that's kind of fun and cool for a website where you're spending your time modding someone else's framework rather than you know trying to invent your own uh it's it is definitely something to look at and uh to be honest in the in the near not near in the distant future i'll probably be looking to migrate slackermedia.info to something uh, a little bit more structured it's all hand coded as it is and i've just kind of noticed that some of the pages that i've written some documentation on 
suffer from maybe not the best organization of CSS, my own fault. So I, I may, I may look, I mean, I might just brush up what I have, but on the other hand, I might just go with some flat file CMS, who knows. Now there's a little bit of talk about coffee in the same email, but I'm not going to read that now because I'm, I'm saving that for a, a segment just about coffee feedback. So I'm kind of half skipping that email. I've skipped uh, two emails from Alexi because uh, they kind of, he, he, he's writing me these really long emails, which are fantastic. And, and frankly, I'm just going to steal the content straight from his email and dump it into an episode at some point. I mean, not, not exactly, but certainly he wrote me about Grub, which will be perfect for when we get to Grub in the Slackware package set. And he wrote me an email about Flatpak, which, as I've already said, is something that I need to speak about anyway. So that'll be in the future. And I'm sure some of his, well, I know some of the things that he told me about will, will be featured heavily because... Um, some of the stuff was completely new to me. It was very, very, very cool. Uh, let's see. I think I got like two two feedbacks on Mastodon, which is if you don't know what Mastodon is, I'll just really kind of quickly say it's it's basically the open source social network that that evolved from Identica, which itself I think was kind of an open source answer to Twitter, maybe. Mastodon, I, I guess you could liken it to Twitter, but it I feels a lot different, to be honest. It, it's, um, I mean, in part because it, it can have more than, like, whatever the character limit is on Twitter. But, but also just because the setup is different, and you kind of form, you can kind of form communities depending on who you, who you want to sort of pay attention to. So it's, it's like a heavily self-filtered Twitter, and it's, it's kind of, Kind of nice, really. So you should you should check it out, maybe, if you want to. Mastodon.something. Mastodon.social, I think, maybe. Um, Mastodon.xyz. Or Fostodon.org. That's a, that's a good one. So there's a bunch of different ones, but you, you sign up for one, and then you can sort of talk across the network at, at different instances. It's, it's a federated network, is what they call it. So anyway, uh, some guy named Ephraim wrote me and said, um, Joey, uh, Joey Hess wrote an interesting dot 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 pager a few years ago, which I don't think gets enough attention. And that is joey.name slash code slash scroll. So this sounded pretty interesting to me because I was talking about more and I was talking about less and I think I might have mentioned most. And so scroll, okay, I thought, yeah, I should try that. So I went to the the page, joeyh.name slash code slash scroll, and uh, yeah, it's not exactly a pager. It, 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 in scroll, you're a bookworm that's stuck on a scroll. You have to dodge between words and use spells to make your way down the page as the scroll is read. Go too slow and you'll get wound up in the scroll and crushed. Scroll was developed in seven days during the 2015 7DRL challenge. It is written in Haskell. By the way, scroll is also a functional Unix file pager, like less or more. So I have not tried it because I have not, I, I, I don't have a full Haskell stack on my machine. And I, I saw that and I thought, I'm not going to do that. Nothing against Haskell, 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 but um, it's just, it, it really is kind of a beast to, to, to load onto Slackware. You, you have to compile a bunch of stuff from source. Well, you don't have to, you can download it from someone else who has built it, but it's, just, it's a lot of stuff, and I just I wasn't up for it, so I have not tried it. And I probably won't now that I see that it's actually sort of a little video game, and 
yeah, it doesn't seem all that serious, but it was still a funny. It was a funny and it was a, it was a good comment, and then it was funny when I found out that it was um the the full story like what it was so thank you very much for for that Ephraim Kalto no Kaito Kato says um that he thinks that I'm over editing my the the cadence of of my speech on the on the podcast and that is I think a side effect of the sort of um the the truncate silence filter or, or effect on audacity. And I do that because I, I know that a lot of people try to get through as many podcasts as they humanly possibly can. I myself do the same thing. I never, these days, I don't listen to podcasts at one speed. I listen to them at one point, I don't know, five or 1.25 or something like that. And it, so I figure, well, I should just edit out the, the, the big pauses and stuff like that. Maybe I'm overdoing it. So maybe I'll cut back on that a little bit or rather not cut back. And hopefully I'll, I'll maintain... The, the normal way that I speak. I, I imagine that this, the way I speak is, is really annoying, though, because it's just, I go slow, I don't, I, I stammer, you know, it's just, it's really annoying. So I, I think the the more compressed it can be, the better. But yeah, I can, I, I'll, I'll step back from that a little bit. I'll, I'll ease up on that a little bit. So thanks for that feedback. It's very helpful. Okay, uh, I think that's it for this episode, honestly, because if we, if we venture any farther into any other email it it would just it would be another episode and there's no point in doing two at a time so that's been the listener feedback episode for this sort of cycle thank you very much for listening i will talk to you next time listening to the GNU World Order AugCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AugCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.
need a thorough checkup by your family doctor to discover the cause of your defects.